Everybody, it's Rob Keynes with GoldSilverPros.com, and I have a returning guest of program. Somebody hadn't been on the channel in a while. This is Dave Kranzler of Investment Research Dynamics, and we're recording on the 11th of January, 2024. Dave, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you, Rob? Good to see you. Yeah, not too bad. Uh, it's an interesting market. Of course, we were talking, I'll get weather just a little bit before we get into the markets. Yeah, you uh, got to talk about weather, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So we're talking about the polar vortex is coming and it looks like it's going to be interesting. Um, of course, anytime anything happens in Texas, everything gets shut down. We're not prepared for the, you know, the deep winter storms. What's it looking like where you're, where you are up there in Colorado? Do you think there's going to be, you know, pretty good amount of snowfall and shutdowns and stuff like that? I don't, I think it's going to be too cold to snow. The on Monday, it's supposed to hit starting Saturday. And on Monday, I think the forecast high right now is zero. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't, I mean, when I was growing up, they wouldn't shut down the schools for that, but I think they'll probably shut down the schools, but everything else will operate. Yeah. Well, along with the polar vortex, I've said transitioning into the economy, I think in 2024, we're going to have our own sort of vortex. I think it, my view is that we're going to have a lot of choppiness. I think we'll have more swings in the markets. We've already seen it with Bitcoin and gold already. I think gold reached a new all-time high a few weeks ago and open on a Sunday and then got slammed down over a, over 100 bucks in a day. And generally, when you get to that point of the market with the alternative currencies, it's signaling people wanting to come into them, but there's not enough momentum really to push them you know, into, the la into that last phase of the market. But I think it does signify, Dave, that people are seeing risk and they're starting to take account of these alternative assets. What's your view on that? What do you think? Just give us a real quick little preview of 2024. What do you think we're going to see this year? Well, as you say, I, you know, I think it's there's going to be a, a, a systemic vortex that hits. It's going to affect the economy. It's going to affect the financial system, the banking system. Uh, I, I think it could get really ugly this year. And for me, it's, it's just a, a matter of when will the Fed start printing money overtly again. I mean, as we were discussing, it, it's already been injecting reserves into the banking system since February. So, um, and so then they know what's, they know what's going on. I mean, it's fun to like laugh at the FO. Well, I don't know about all the FOMC members, but it's, you know, Powell gets informed from, from the research staff at the Fed, what's going on. I mean, they have access to better data than any of us. And so they, they, they well know what's going on. And so then it's just a question of how do you, how do you package what the Fed communicates? And Greenspan was the master of it. But uh, how, how do you package what the Fed communicates so that the dollar doesn't get flushed down the toilet and interest rates go to the moon, right? Um, and we, we saw today, I don't think we're done with inflation at all. I mean, no. we'll never be done with, with their willingness to massage away actual inflation from the CPI report. But the CPI report hasn't been designed to measure real price inflation since the 80s so you know regardless of what the cpi report says and if it's if they were not able to keep that headline number below what wall street was forecasting like happened today it tells you that inflation is running a lot hotter than than even they have the the ability to massage it out of the numbers and maintain some semblance of credibility yeah i think in the inflation story is far from over um, if you go back and look at the 70s, it had three three stages, each yeah. one more than the other. We got the blow off top and then Volcker 
had was forced to come in and raise interest rates. I think it was somewhere between 18 and 20 percent, just like overnight. Um, and you know, John Exter was one of Exter's Pimmer was one of those people who was counseling him to do that because back then uh, he had experience with the central bank also being a central bank head of another central bank. Mm -hmm. And it, and he would he was telling Volcker, he's like, hey man, you got to get control of this, or you could have a runaway inflation of the dollar. And you know, Dave, that was back before we had so many damn dollars all over the place. Fast forward to today, you know, we're all you know, you could wrap your Christmas presents and how much dollars we've created. Um, I agree with you. I don't think inflation's anywhere near ending, and and we've started to see those hot prints come back. I, we started to see it a couple months ago, just touch, you know, go up a yep. bit. And now I think we're starting to see it for real. Can the Fed cut, you know, when if inflation is going to come back, even if it doesn't get to almost double digits like last time, maybe even it just goes back up to, you know, seven, eight. Do you think the Fed can do their planned cuts that they're talking about? They kind of said on the market, we may do three to four cuts this year. Do you think they're going to be able to do that? I mean, there's a couple factors going on there. I mean, just to kind of get back to what I'm expecting in 2024, I, I think the economy is and has been in worse shape than than the official numbers show. I mean, especially, you know, I scour private sector earnings reports, data, economic reports for my for my short sellers journal every week. And what what the private sector is reporting is a lot different than what, you know, the government numbers like GDP and employment are showing. So yeah. I think the economy is is in not great shape. And I think it's going to get a lot worse in 2024, you know, and the primary reason for that is that households are just over overstrapped with debt. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we saw that in the holiday season where holiday sales were were if you rip, if you strip out price inflation, holiday sales actually were probably negative on a year over year basis. And yet, you know, based on the November consumer credit report from the Fed, uh, credit card debt increased in the month of November by the second most in history on record. That's right. And the revolving part of that debt. Yeah. The, over 19, 19 billion. Yeah. Yep. And, and so, and that's and you, the got the right now, pay, you got the buy now pay later plans, Dave. So yes. you're right on that. Yeah. Yep, you're right. And I that's that's another indication, you know, these these people using, you know, the buy now, pay later, it tells you they didn't have the money to fund their holiday gifts. Mm -hmm. And now they're gonna have to spend a large part of 2024 paying that debt down. That's expensive debt. That buy now, pay later debt is is you know in the mid-20s <laughs> percent. And and so that essentially that that robs consumer spending from 2024 and pulls it into the holiday season, which was weak as it was. And, and so, um, you know, I, I, I think the economy is really going to go into a downward spiral this year. And so can the fed cut interest rates? I mean, I think it depends on the degree to which it wants to try to save the economy, you know, at the expense of the dollar. So <clears throat> let's just put it this way. I mean, they're in a much tougher position than the Fed was in 2008, if, if you ask me, and and probably even in a tougher position than um, you know the, that that pandemic period. So, and, and some of the some of the private sector economic data indices are now back down to where they were <clears throat> at the bottom of of the pandemic, you know, during the lockdown period. So. That, that kind of tells you where we are. And so how is the Fed going to treat that? 
I think, like, like I said, I know we were talking earlier, I, I think it's either, you know, start printing money and cut interest rates or cause the economy to really crash and default on the government debt. Yeah, those aren't great choices. And, and it is, <laughs> you know, and it is to what you said, a lot of the GDP, because we had some fairly robust GDP gains, you know, in the last couple of months of, of the last quarter last year, and you know, we had a five, was it a 5.2 and a 4.9, something like that. But if you dive beneath the numbers there, the majority of it was government spending. So it's all yeah. debt based. Defense spending. Defense spending, government spending. And then the consumer spent more, but we just went over how they spent it. They spent it on credit. Yeah. So that GDP gain is, as you said, it, it's a debt that must be paid back later. So it's not additive to the economy. It's something you're going to take back because it's whatever you spent plus the interest rate you have to pay is now going to be drawn out of the economy this year as people pay it back. That's right. And we got the unemployment numbers. Let's talk about those for a minute. The unemployment numbers, every single time they come out, they get revised down. So it's never as rosy as they say. But Zero Hedge does a really good job of breaking down the mix of jobs. So in, in was it November's report or the latest report we got? Or December, I'm sorry. We lost one and a half million full-time jobs and we gained part-time jobs. But it, but we're not making up for the income and the benefits and stuff like that. So, what do you, how do you think that affects consumers in 2024? Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I actually dissected those numbers in my in my newsletter last last weekend. Mm -hmm. um, the interesting thing is um, that the two 216k number, the headline number, mm -hmm. that came from the establishment survey. Right. There's there's two surveys. I mean, it's just stupid how they do this. Two surveys that the household, the household report. I can't find it in here, but um, the household report showed. Oh, yeah. The number of people employed declined by six hundred and eighty three thousand. Yes. And and so, you know, I, the part time workers increased by five hundred and seventy nine thousand, which means if you do the math, full-time workers fell by 1.26 million. Yeah. And, and a, a high percentage of those part-time, those additional part-time jobs are people taking on second and third part-time jobs to make ends meet. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, when you see, you know, oh, 216K new jobs in, in, in December, you know, oh, the economy must be doing well. That's better than expected. Well, no, that number's completely fictitious. So, um, yeah, I mean, this, this is all feeding into what I think is going to happen this year, which is, and we haven't really begun to see the real layoffs coming. So, and you know, that that's coming and we're also going to start, people are going to start defaulting on their debt. It's already starting. So, I mean, the delinquency rate on credit card debt for, all of banks in the US except the top 100 is over 7% now. You know, now you're getting into 2008 2009 numbers. And yeah. and it'll it'll start rising at the at the largest banks. Just give it some time. Yeah, it will. So I think, you know, we're all of this is circling around the point that the banking sector probably is going to have all sorts of trouble. Uh, one of the recent reports is that the amount of unrealized losses on the bank's balance sheet is the highest it's been in forever. In fact, the chart I saw is as high as it's been since the chart's been, <laughs> been kept, uh, at least over the last 10 years. 
And those unrealized losses are really essentially what put Silvergate, SVB, First Republic, all of those banks out and almost took out Credit Suisse. Because the if you mark to market the value of the debt, quote unquote, assets, like mortgage, mortgage debt, treasury debt, it's debt, but it's an asset, right? That old stupid game. But if you market to market, a lot more banks are insolvent. Bank of America is probably the first one because they have a third of all of this by themselves. Yes. At what point does the market, it did for Silvergate and SVP. At what point do the smart people in the market, the sharps, turn around and look at the rest of these banks and say, oh, crap, we're in much worse shape. And then it starts some sort of bank run, whether it be on the depositor side or on the investor side, because I think the Silvergate and SVB, it started on the investor side and moved to the depositors. The investors figured it out and then they started withdrawing their money. You know, how long before that happens to the rest of the banking system? Could that happen this year? Or is that something you think that people just aren't going to touch it? That's a great question. I mean, really, you're just making the argument for why the Fed will probably end up cutting interest rates. Because mm -hmm. the, the problem with these banks is they had a, a duration mismatch between the duration of their liabilities, which are demand deposits, you know, you can walk into a bank and say, I want my money versus the duration of their what they call hold to maturity assets. And that was just an accounting game that 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 was put in so that banks, if they hold assets, you know, and they go down, they used to have to mark them to market, even though it was just paper losses. Well, they decided, well, why don't we move these into hold to maturity category? And that way we'll just carry them at face. And they're long duration assets, which the banks piled into because they couldn't get any yield on the short end. And they they didn't. And it, it also tells you that for the last few years, there, there weren't enough good projects to lend to. Right. I mean, that's what the banks do. They take in deposits and lend money to whatever, you know, and unfortunately, you know, too much commercial real estate. But so you have these assets which are you know arguably very high quality that don't mature and you know until seven to ten years from now and when rates shot up the value of those assets went down you know 20 25 percent and so that that's where the problem was and that that means that i mean the fed can try to fix it by job boning rates lower and i think that's what we saw in the in the last FOMC meeting. And I think that's what their motive was, was to try and get rates down at the long end, which it did. I mean, we had a quick hundred basis point retracement and yields lower, right? And and that helps push up the value of the fixed income assets held by these banks. So and if they cut, you know, the interesting thing is what happens if they do cut rates or you know, or when they start cutting rates. We could actually see the yield curve steepen, which will make the whole to maturity valuation problem even worse. <laughs> yeah, it would. And let, let's get into some of the indicators of trouble. So I'm going to throw out three. We've got the yield curve inversion that we've had now for at least six, seven months between the two and the 10 year treasury. We have the bank term funding program and we have the repo market. So let's start with let's start with the first one. What are your what are your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts diverge from what the main, mainstream media experts are telling everyone. Oh, an inverted yield curve doesn't mean anything anymore. We're having a soft landing. We might not even land. I mean, it, it's been inverted for a lot longer than six months, and I don't have the number off the top of my head mm -hmm. for how long it's been inverted. But 
historically un, unmitigatingly an inverted yield curve for that length of time. And I, I'm not even sure it's ever been inverted for as long as it has been. I'd have to look that up. I, I don't think it has. Yeah. It always, it always recession. Goes recession. Yeah. It, this is the longest it's ever been inverted, you know, prior to a recession. And it has a hundred percent prediction rate on recession so far, limited, limited sample size, but I, I mean, it's been a really good indicator. You could argue that this, you know, several sectors of the economy have been in a recession for over a year. I mean, you've seen it with the leading indicators, the, the leading um, indicators index has been declining for 19 months. It's been negative for 19 right. months. Same with the, the Dallas fed manufacturing index, like 20 months or something like that. Manufacturing has been in a recession for over a year. Um, retail, if you strip out inflation is barely treading water. So That's right. I, I mean, it, no one, no one in the mainstream would ever admit it. But I mean, if just looking at the numbers, I mean, we've probably there hasn't been any real economic growth, especially if you use a, a real deflator to measure GDP. There hasn't been real economic growth in a long time. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think we've had any true sustained economic growth since the last recession. And honestly, Dave, if you look at the numbers, I can make the case that going back to the tech crash whatever gains we had ever made after that are long gone and yeah. the bill that we have to pay for maintaining basically an even, you know, for the last 20 some years is yet to be paid. Well, you know, all the money we spent was just to keep it even for all intents and purposes, but we still got to pay the bill at some point. Right. So I think people will come back to this 20 year period of history and say, yeah, that definitely was not <laughs> worth it. Um, in terms of the amount of destruction done after going on these wild, insane policies. And we tried them all. It's all modern monetary theory that they're trying. Yeah. I think it's going to fail. Uh, let's get to the other two that I mentioned, the repo market and bank term funding. You know, I think we made an interesting connection before the recording that, that bank term funding program and repo are sort of analogous to one another. Mm -hmm. And the repo market liquidity has come down. Interest rates are above five now. And I noticed as soon as that repo market rate went above five, the amount of collateral pledged to the repo market has fallen off a cliff. It's like people don't want to pay that rate for short-term funding. Some banks are using like bank term funding or the farm legislation to go pledge collateral to get money from the Fed. Aren't these similar schemes in order to keep a certain amount of liquidity in the banking system and to kind of cover up, you know, what is looked at as maybe not super high quality debt and super high quality, you know, collateral that's being used. No question about it. I mean, just take the bank term funding program. How is that not QE? I mean, definitionally, right. that's what it is, right? Yeah. These banks pledge their collateral, you know, the whole to maturity securities. They pledge that as collateral, take it to the Fed, the Fed window and, and get a loan against that. Yeah. And the incredible thing is the Fed is lending on face value as opposed to the 15 to 20% discount to face where it's trading now. So, I mean, that's what QE is, right? I mean, even, even an overnight repo is, you know, at what point does it go, become not an overnight repo in QE? You know, does it, does it have to be a 10 day maturity, repo maturity, a one year repo maturity, which, and they don't, the thing is these banks don't have to pay back the, the money that they're taking from the BTFP right away. They, it just means supposedly this March date is is when um, 
you can no longer tap into it. But that doesn't mean you got to pay it back all at once. So, right. and and I, I guarantee the feds either, they're going to let the banks, you know, keep that liquidity for as long as they need it, or it'll extend the window on that, on that facility. They'll probably extend it out. They'll, they'll say six months, but it's like that repo program that started in 2019, September, 2019. And you, you could, I could see from the numbers I look at that the banks were becoming illiquid in the summer of 2019. Yeah. And if you go back and look at the bank stock charts, they started selling off in August. So, um, and you know, what was a temporary overnight repo program, slowly slowly transitioned and then quickly transitioned into you know multi-month repo maturities and the the pro i forget how big it was it was huge by the by the time they decided to just print three trillion all at once and throw it into the banking system do, do you think it we we for years i think in our industry in general not just us but you know in general <clears throat> if you follow gold and silver you follow the economy you're you follow austrian economic that type of thing you're always looking for what is the trigger, what's the black swan, what's going to cause it. Is it ultimately always coming down to the banks and the central bank? Isn't that always what we're talking about? Will that be well, what we've been talking about, what eventually will cause this thing to topple over? Is it the dollar? What is it? What do you think is going to topple the, finally? Well, if we could figure out what it was, it wouldn't be a black swan definitionally, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if you saw it. Someone, someone tweeted. Uh, I don't know. It might have been over the weekend. His list of what the black swans would be in in twenty twenty four, and he had a whole list of things. Some of the ones that we're talking about. I'm like, yeah. well, well, how are they black swans if you already know that they're there, <laughs> right? I mean, <sighs> maybe we already know the answers to the to the test, and we're just sitting here waiting. That could be also that very well could be. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm starting to get a little bit nervous about what's going on in the Middle East. I mean, it looks like it's starting to escalate. And oh, oh man, you know what? I wanted to I don't know if you saw this. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't believe this government is going to do this. But the White House apparently is backing legislation in Congress to use the funds, the Russian funds that the U.S. confiscated to rebuild Ukraine. Yeah. Now, I mean, we know there's like half of that's going to end up in the pockets of the contractors that go right. in there, the, the U.S.-based contractors that go in there and do the building. But I, I honestly can't believe that that this country is arrogant enough to think that it's going to actually take those funds and use them for its own purposes. Outright theft, right? Yeah. I mean, you could argue that it's not officially theft yet. It just Russia doesn't have access to those funds. But if the U.S. goes and uses those funds, that's outright theft. And if 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 the people in D.C. think there won't be repercussions to that, I mean, look what's already happened to the precious metal sector since since the the confiscation um, began, right? I mean, look how much gold the Eastern Hemisphere has been acquiring over the last two years. Phenomenal. Yeah, that's that's something I want to talk about. So let's talk about let's talk about the war for just a sec. And let's get into gold silver if that's okay you brought up the war so i want to focus on it i tell you every time i bring this up especially on twitter i get hammered because there seems to be dave and i'm not trying to make this political but there seems to be a certain group of people that want us to go blow up the middle east and any excuse 
that we can do it. It's like kill them all and let God sort them out. And I kind of get that you have an affiliation with Israel because of the United States is longstanding. But at some point, when do we say this is less about our supporting Israel and more about us not wanting to start World War Three? Because now you have Houthi rebels shooting off rockets from Yemen at our destroyers. Now we've got a couple of destroyers over there. Then you have Iran chasing out our warships. None of this is good. We, I, in my opinion, we don't want to go over there starting any sort of crap, Dave, because I don't know that the crap that we start is not going to then push over into other nations we don't want to F with. I don't want to F with China. I don't want to F with Russia right now. But I feel like we're almost drawing some of these bigger powers into it. It's, you know, my master's in military college. And when I went to residency, there was one of the professors talking about proxy wars. We're in this big proxy war. I don't want this proxy war to spill over into a war war. That's my fear. Do you think that that's possible? Or do you think there's no chance that that happens? I mean, uh, is it is it really a proxy war? It almost seems like a direct war. I mean, we've got very close. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if, if we got have boots on the ground over the Middle East, but we've we've got boots on the ground. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's already war, if you ask me. Yeah. I mean, my opinion is I don't I don't think the U.S. should be over there. Period. Um, you yeah. know, let let that region of the world sort it out and. You know, the less intervention that you have, the more quickly and efficiently it'll get sorted out. Um, but I mean, you know, war war is money, right? Defense companies are making a bloody fortune in Ukraine. They're they're now going to be making a bloody fortune in the United States. I mean, in Israel, um, it distracts people away from you know if you if you've got war in the headlines. You know, it distracts people away from all the other BS that's going on in this country right now. You know, yeah. especially, especially the border. I mean, yeah. the border. I mean, you could call that a black swan. <laughs> I mean, it's it's gotten out of control, as as you well know. Yeah, the the amount of, and there's so much talk about Dave. I feel like we could go on forever. So I'll talk about it for a second. I'll move to gold and silver though. The the board, I call it an invasion, which offends a lot of people. But they're literally just pushing people through, and they're not even qualifying them. And they're giving them money and they're giving them gift cards and cell phones. We now have this on film. So this is not conspiracy theory. We have it on film. We have sheriffs in Texas and Arizona saying this is happening. They're literally just shoving people in the country. And what happened to Europe when that happened? Well, Europe culturally became very politically unstable. Yeah. And I think that cultural instability is coming to the United States in some regard because it's okay to have immigration, but when you do it the way you're doing it, it's going to cause instability. The system itself can't handle it. Whether whether morally, you know, whatever argument you make there, economically, it's going to be a disaster. Uh, it's already a disaster. The the state of Texas is calling special sessions because we only do every other year. Odd number of years we do our legislature. We're not supposed to be in session for 2024. We're in special session talking about this issue. And no matter what Governor Abbott does, he signs letters saying, I'm going to take care of it. But we just don't have the money. You know, we don't have the, we can't cover all the thousands of miles of our border space, you know, that don't have fences. There's literally, I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. Um, there's nothing state of Texas can do. Arizona seems to be helping and paying for all this, or at least some of it. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a nasty little, that could be a nasty little black swan that we have 
And, and what is that thought that most empires collapse from the inside? Maybe that's really where it's going to come from. Well, I mean, and you know, it's Abbott's been sending a lot of them up to Denver, you know, to other yeah. sanctuary cities. And I just, I just saw there's the the state of Colorado is going to allocate 12 billion in taxpayer money for housing for these people. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of think, I mean, one way to, to at least slow it down is to stop providing economic incentive for them to come here. You know, don't, don't hand out money that we don't have to give them cell phones and, and food cards and shelter. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're not going to have much fun this weekend in Denver. I'll tell you that unless they have shelter, but it, it's like, I think, as you pointed out, and what happened in Europe is that I think you could see a major social backlash against this. Yeah. And that could be coming this year if, if they don't do something to at least slow it down and, and, and stop allocating, you know, taxpayer money to clothe and feed and shelter these people, money that we don't have, right? I mean, we're spending we're giving them money that we're borrowing, whether it's from foreign investors or, you know, the Fed has to print it up. Yeah, that's right. Okay, let's go to gold and silver. So gold hit a new all-time high a few weeks ago on a Sunday open, then got slammed the next two days. Um, when you go look at the COT report, it was the bullying banks. We know who we know who the, the culprits always are. Uh, we know who they are. If you combine the COT report with the Office's Comptroller Currency Report, we know the four banks. They're, they're called out in the OCC report. So we know who the, the culprits are. Do you think at some point gold and silver are going to get up and run and just keep running? That at some point they lose? I've always thought that they're going to lose control. I've said it all these years. But they, they seem to have immense power in the short term. They can stop short rallies. What do you think is going to get gold and silver over that hump to just keep running like it did you know, 2009? Well, I mean, to your point, since 2001, gold is still the best performing asset, right? Yep. It's outperformed even, you know, the Dow and the NASDAQ and the S&P. So, you know, they, they it's it's um, back in the earlier days, early 2000s, it, you know, we used to refer to it as a controlled retreat, the, the price management of, of gold. And, it, you know, again, it's you, you see the price management happen when it's just the the London and New York paper derivative markets that are open, right? Mm -hmm. you, you don't. It's not like you know these Eastern Hemisphere banks that have been accumulating a boatload of, of gold over the last few years. It's not like they're out there selling chunks of, of physical gold on the market. Pe once people buy physical gold, they keep it. Right. They use it as collateral. So, um, it's 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 clearly all being engineered in the in the derivatives market so um what what'll cause them to lose control i mean i think that's part of why the fed is being so cagey about i mean we know the fed at some point is going to have to start cutting rates and printing money yeah and i and i think i think part of the reason they're being cagey about it is is to help them control the gold price i mean that's what we saw in 2008 in mean, gold was over a thousand bucks in March as as Bear Stearns was going bankrupt that year, and then by the end of October, gold was down at seven hundred. Even though everyone knew that the financial system was blowing up, and that and that's the type of thing that should cause gold to double, not not go down thirty five percent. So, 
Um, I, I think that's kind of what they're doing now. I think they, they know that at some point they're going to have to start printing money again, cutting rates. And I think they want the next launch in the prices of gold and silver to start from a lower level than if they were not trying to control the price. You see what I'm saying? Right. And, I mean, it's, you know, it's just like that list of black swans that went around on Twitter. I mean, there's any number of trigger events that could cause it to happen. Um, and I, I think we will see one of, or many of those trigger events this year. Let's move over into the stocks real quick. Um, it seemed as though the stock indices, the mining stock indices, kind of got up off the mat a little bit in the fourth quarter, showed some life. I don't know if it's a Rocky Balboa story just yet. It seems like they may have fallen back down. <laughs> what do you think? Um, do you think we're going to get the catalyst from the step? What, the catalyst to me is being where gold's right now, gold needs to go back to a new all-time high and stay there. And then to me, I think the mining stocks get up, you know, and they start fighting again. Is that your view? Or what do you think is going to propel the mining stocks back into, you know, another bull cycle like we saw in 2016 and in 2020? You know, that's that's a really good question. It's the, the, it's kind of an interesting answer because, you know, if you go through the exercise, I run two year charts on I just on my stock trading app. I, I use GLD and SLV and GDX and GDX and actually all of them, SLV, you know, gold and silver and, you know, the large cap mining stocks have been in an uptrend since September 2022. I mean, you can look, you can just pull up the chart and see. Yeah. So, and I mean, since, since the beginning of October, and I, again, this number's off the top of my head. I calculated it the other day. GDX was up something like, I don't know, 35% in the, in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's natural to have a pullback, a corrective pullback. Cause it, you know, it was starting to get frothy. I'm looking at the chart here. And the RSI was in way overbought territory by, by you know, late November. So late November, by beginning of December, it was overbought. So it kind of, you know, you kind of knew there was going to be some kind of pullback. And I think it's the kind of pullback that'll set set up the next move higher. I think where where our our people, meaning, you know, the cohort of people who invest in mining stocks. Mm -hmm. I think they really more focus on the junior project development stocks. And those are the ones that have been stuck in mud now for a few years. Yeah. And um, so for me, the question is, and, and you're right to your point, you know, GDX, the, the Amex gold bugs index, which I guess is called the ARCA gold bugs index. Now they're all extremely over I mean, if you run the ratio charts, they're extremely um, cheap on a historical basis relative to the price of gold. So, right. so then the question is, when will they catch up with gold? And um, I think we could see that this year. Again, you know, any number of, of trigger events that will cause gold to shoot up into, you know, an all-time high and maintain that level. And, and silver at some point has got to catch up to gold. I mean, silver is going to be in a supply deficit this year, right? A supply-demand deficit. Um, at some point, silver will catch up. But if we could see silver start to move into the high 20s and, and get over 30, I mean, I think we're going to be off to the races in the mining stocks and especially the micro cap junior project development stocks. Those are, those are the ones you really want to be in. 
if this if it unfolds this way i mean nothing's guaranteed right do you think 2024 is going to be a catalyst year or do you think this can keep going for you do you because we're in an election year and in 2008 was an election year and they couldn't keep everything going to the election we actually had problems before do you think in 2024 they're going to be able to keep it together do they want to keep it together is the fed care at all at this point or is the fed just trying to bail water out of the boat as fast as possible i mean they've already as we were discussing before we started recording there's already been um low grade call it money printing going on since february right the base money supply is up over seven percent since february and thus that's that's it's bank they've been creating bank reserves right because the base money supply is is bank reserves plus coin and currency in circulation so there, there's already been kind of a, a low grade version of money printing going on since february and the question is i mean one thing that we didn't touch upon it's probably a whole topic unto itself is you've got um debt maturity wall in commercial real estate and not just commercial real estate. What doesn't get talked about is these private equity funds levered the crap out of all the companies that they took private over the last three or four years. And, and there's going to be a <clears throat> maturity wall there. And, the, and a lot of these companies, they're going to have trouble. They're going to have trouble refinancing them because they don't make money. Interest rates are a lot higher than when the debt was issued. And uh, the banks are sitting on a lot of this paper. So to me, it all kind of boils down to <clears throat> in terms of printing printing money well there's there's two facets you know do the banks come completely unraveled this year i think there's not saying it's going to happen i think there's a good probability that they will but also there's going to be a lot of new treasury issuance that has to come and when that reverse repo facility gets to a certain point and that's mostly money market funds when it gets to a certain point they're not going to be able to you know roll over debt and, and finance the spending deficit by issuing T-bills. That's what they've been doing since they removed the debt ceiling. At some point, they're going to have to start issuing longer duration paper, which makes more sense anyway, because it's trading, you know, consider at a considerably lower rate than T-bills are. Um, and it's, it's like, who's going to buy that stuff? Yellen got a lot of criticism for not promoting that already. I remember in the last month, the market really got onto her for not being more active in the longer well, know, I, the whole government complex not being more active in the longer term debt market there's a reason for that though we've they don't have a problem getting auctions that are less than five years done yeah but there's been some hiccups in the auctions in the 10s 20s and 30s especially the the 20s when they've issued 20-year paper because and again this was the case you know four weeks ago i haven't looked at the curve lately but at that point the 20 year was was trading at a lower yield than the 30 year. And so it's like, you know, why would you want to buy the 20 year? Yeah, it seems as though the longer end of the curve, people aren't buying. So I, I think what's happening is people aren't buying the long term stability of the dollar and of the US economic system. They may take short term debt because they perceive that they can get out of it, you know. And especially foreigners, they're, yeah. they're pulling away from that. So you know, if, if they're going to start issuing on the long end, they're going to have a hard time holding rates down at the long end because yeah. they're going to have to find a rate that'll clear the market at the long end. Once the money market funds are out of cash to keep this 
to keep the gerbil on the treadmill with T-bills. Yeah, the, it, it seems as though it's like a sort of a, not a pincer, but we're being, the Fed's boxed in. And Big time. The Fed and the Treasury don't have the tools to get out of this one. They don't. They don't have the liquidity. They can't get enough liquidity in the system. Uh, like I said, they can't go to the long end of the curve. They can't push out and de-risk the system. And when you can't do that, you're in a box and then everybody jumping out of the system, you don't, that box is not supported. I, to me, there's no way out. I think this is the no way out scenario. This is the- Well, print. Yeah. <laughs> that's- Hyperinflate, right? That, that's going to be, they either print or default. So- you know, And they won't default. They've already said default is not an option. So pick your poison. So that means they're going to print. And then the question is, does all this come to a head this year? Or can they kick the can down the road somehow for another yeah. year? I mean, that's the $64,000 question. I mean, I, I think I think there's a high probability it comes to a head this year, but, you know, they, they may have, you know, let, believe me, they, they, the brains at the Fed, they, they're, they discuss what we're discussing with better data. So they, they're well aware of the problems. Yeah. And so then it's just a question of how do you package it when you have to roll out the solution, which will be money think, printing. Do you think the foreign debt holders have become the marginal buyers? And when they walk away from the table is when it collapses. Because they're already they're starting not, to walk away from the table, <laughs> right? They're already starting to walk away from the table. But I mean, when they finally get up and there's, they're not even at the table anymore. Uh, there's which probably, I think is coming because they're developing their own systems. Trade started with trade. Then it went to transfer and then it went to currency. So the writing's on the wall. They're developing their own economic system. You know, at what point do they get and walk away? And when they walk away, is that collapsing? Because I don't, because once the Fed is 100% monetizing everything, then everybody knows it's a, it's it up at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think getting rid of the dollar is going to take a lot longer than a lot of us would like to think it would yeah but you know again it's the question of to what extent are these are the foreigners willing to continue feeding at the treasury trough and mm. we see they're already pulling away i think at this point there's probably a rate that would induce not all of them but a, a, enough to fund to bridge the gap you know in in funding the deficit but that rate i think is is it's got to be closer to 10 percent than where we are right now and that's that's the problem is that, you know, 4% on the long bond is, is not a, it's, it's not an economic rate. It's not a real, it's not a free market rate. And because so getting, your opportunity people. cost is what you can get in the emerging market. The emerging market returns are higher right now. Right. So if you look at BRICS projects, if you look at Belt and Road initiatives, if you look at outside the, the Western system, the development of, blockchain projects and digital the digital economy there's much higher rates of return outside the us than there is in the us right now i think at least from a debt perspective right well and again as you know as you you know we've been talking about um a lot of these central banks and and, and sovereigns are putting money that they might otherwise put in or historically put into treasuries they're buying gold with it physical gold so any last thoughts, Dave, before we wrap up and talk about your newsletters? Anything we haven't covered on the program that you've been talking about with your subscribers that you want to share? Uh, you know, it's interestingly, 
I usually when we get pullback cycles like this, I get a much higher rate of cancellation than I've been getting in really for the last two years. I mean, I, I've had I've had a, a you know a drawdown in my subscriber base, but I'm I'm still getting new subscribers, and and most of my long term hardcore subscribers, I mean, they're you know they're they're they remain rock solid. They they firmly believe in this sector and they firmly believe that there's at some point um, alpha to be earned in this sector. So um, I, I guess I'm just kind of surprised that I wasn't, I haven't been getting more cancellations during this, this pullback. And really we've been in a pullback period since, I mean, GDX was much higher back in March of 2022 than it is now. So I mean, there's there's a lot of frustrated people out there, but I, you know, I think I think the reward should happen this year, could happen this year, and if not this year, next year. All right, very good. So tell us, Dave, about investment research dynamics and the two newsletters that you write, and how people can get in contact with you if you're interested in taking a look at those. Sure. So investment research dynamics. That's that's my blog. I'm, I don't post as actively as I used to, but I'm, I'm going to try and crank that back up again. And at the top of that, there's links to my mining stock journal, which comes out twice a month, and my short sellers journal, which is a weekly. And um, you can get more information on, on those two newsletters. You know, just follow the links. Perfect. Sounds good. And a reminder for those of you that follow me, we do have a bullion store and we have a couple of deals out this week. We're $2.99 per ounce over spot for silver maples. And I think we're $2.75 over spot for the UK Britannia's. If you want that or any other discounts you can find on our discounts page. Those are good to... deals. Yeah, thank you. Go to www.goldsilverpros.com. Go to the discounts tab. We have prices on just about anything that you want. But if you want those two specific deals I gave you, which aren't anywhere on the website, you click on access discounts here, fill out the form and I'll get in contact with you. We still do this this week. I'm also giving away a couple of freebies, a couple of proof coin sets. With the first amount of people that order, I think I've got a couple of those left. So if you're interested in getting a free proof set and you buy at least $500, we'll do that as well. All right. Thank you, Dave, so much. We appreciate it. And Thanks, uh, welcome back to the program. Nice talking to you. I know it's been a while. <laughs> Likewise. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah. We'd love to have you come back in rotation again for this year if you're interested, for sure. Just let me know. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it.